With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. Well, we're ready for the regular season. This is our first regular season podcast for 2019-2020 college basketball season. And we've got a great podcast for you. I could be wrong here, but I think this is the only podcast in America covering college basketball that has all four head coaches in the top four teams in the AP poll and the Power 36, the four coaches playing in the Champions Classic at Madison Square Garden to tip off the season. This game is going to be on ESPN. Michigan State head coach Tom Izzo, Kentucky head coach John Calipari, Duke head coach Mike Krzyzewski, and Kansas head coach Bill Self. Four Hall of Famers, top four schools in the AP and in the Power 36, meeting in the Champions Classic. They will all join me here on March Madness 365. Also, be joined by Dan Gavitt, the Executive Vice President of the NCAA to get us ready for the season. And Chad Acock from Turner Sports. He's going to pepper some games at me. We're going to do some predictions. It's a segment we're going to do throughout the course of the season. So, this week, we've got the Champions Classic. On Wednesday night, the ACC begins. 20-game schedule. ACC Network, ESPN wanted to tip off with a bang, which makes a lot of sense. You've got conference games, the first game of the season. Virginia-Syracuse is the highlighted game. Defending champs at the Carrier Dome. I will be there for March Madness and NCAA.com. Later in the week, and these are games we're going to discuss in our prediction segment, the Armed Forces Classic, Washington, one of the Pac-12 favorites, taking on Baylor, I think one of the top teams of the Big 12, that game in Anchorage, Alaska. It's a great game up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, between St. Mary's and Wisconsin, a couple of top 30-type teams. Uh, You've got the rivalry game on the weekend between Florida State and Florida, always one of the better early season games that just doesn't get a lot of national pub. You know, in the Champions Classic, you're going to get a chance to see the preseason player of the year in Cassius Winston, one of the best freshmen in the country in Kentucky's Tyrese Maxey, who won our popularity player of the year poll, came down to Winston and Maxey. You're going to see them on the court. Michigan State taking on Kentucky. Maxey won the popular vote. Uh, Cassius Winston, you could argue, might have won the Electoral College because I think the the masses all believe he's the better pick for Player of the Year, but the popular vote won. Big Blue Nation is undefeated. As Tyrese Maxey won that in our March Madness Player of the Year voting. Between Duke and Kansas, Yudoka Azubuke from Kansas, one of the best big men in the country, Trey Jones from Duke, could end up being the best defender in the country. So you get a chance to see all those players in the Champions Classic. Remember, it was a year ago. Zion Williamson came onto the national scene. Everyone knew about him out of high school, but really blossomed, obviously, in the Champions Classic and that Duke monster victory over Kentucky. All right, so we want to get to these interviews. All four head coaches coming up here on March Madness 365. 
And now joining me here at March Madness 365, Michigan State Hall of Fame head coach Tom Izzo. And Tom, I want to talk about the Champions Classic. So we are uh, looking at the opener. Uh, first of all, this event, especially now tipping off the season, what has it done for the sport? I think it's done a lot for the sport. And, you know, thank God all four teams uh, from different regions and different conferences have all been good. I mean, I see some places have uh, the four teams, one, two, three, and four. A couple of years ago, you know, we were two, Kentucky was one, three. I think last year we were 10 and we were the odd men out of the top five. But, I mean, there's very seldom that it hasn't been a, a little event not tournament, but event where all four teams are in definitely the top 10, sometimes in the top five. A year ago, it really was the coming out party for Zion Williamson and what Duke did to Kentucky. Uh, what can this event do for anyone on any of the four teams, for your team in particular, that probably will be a preseason number one? Well, what I like about it for us is this year, maybe we will be one or two. And if we are, um, you go into this event and if you've had that hangover that some teams have thinking they're pretty good because they got to a final four they got a lot of accolades you're going to get it smacked down quick and i don't have to coach that scoreboard coaches that so that's why i've always liked the schedule tough that's why that game's been so good and all the games have been good one, one year we got beat pretty good by kentucky when we had all those injuries but other than that win or lose they've all been great games and i think great for college basketball so i think you learn a lot about a guy you see who's improved who hasn't because you're doing it against the best competition right off the bat no fool's gold on this so you bring back cassius winston joshua langford will be healthy uh for that opener xavier tillman aaron henry kyle arns what's it like to have a group where you don't have to do as much teaching maybe more coaching especially if not as many impactful newcomers with this group i would say impactful newcomers the best way to put it my two worries are that uh, langford you know just started playing after seven and a half months off and uh, how fast it'll take him to get back and then a little bit at the you know forward spot um because we're either going to start a freshman or a sophomore that hasn't played very much. So that's the only question mark. But you got four guys that have played a lot of basketball around them. Um, that's why we should be pretty good if I don't screw them up. You know, I, I look at the parallels with 99 and 2000. You make the Final Four in 99. I know you've made a lot of Final Fours. And then, but that core group came back in 2000. I mean, can you see a little bit of a parallel with 99 to 2019, maybe 2000 to 2020? Yeah, I do, you know, but then the negative coach in me says, but I also remember 9, 10, and 11, you know, 9 we go, 10 we go back, 11 we got a lot of them back, and we just did not perform as well. It was one of the one years that I wish I could have back uh, in my career. Uh, so, you know, the, the advantage of being a veteran coach, I've got things on why this is a positive. I've got things why it's a negative. And I've actually spent a lot of time with my team this year because I don't trust the social media and all the things that are out there damaging. So I'm trying to explain it to them. Uh, and do a little preventative work rather than crisis management after the first couple of weeks when not only Kentucky, but Duke is right around the corner, too. How do you explain that Cassius Winston is going to be a preseason player of the year? You know, this summer I asked him a question. Did you ever think you'd be here? And he looks at me and said, no. And people ask me, did you ever think he's going to be here? And I said, the guy's like you. No, I just didn't see that in recruiting him. I thought he'd be a very good player, but he's exceeded some of my expectations. So then how do you keep him motivated? Well, he's not a great defender. We, we said that as he's not real strong. 
So we said, if you get stronger, that'll help the fact you're not as good an athlete. It'll help your defense. And he can be more vocal as a leader. He's a leader by example. I'm hoping he'll be a leader by motivating people. So those are the three areas that I've tried to attack in the summer that are not negatives, but are are ways to keep him motivated to do the best he can do. I know you haven't had time as we're taping this to look at Kentucky, but anytime you play Kentucky, you know, obviously usually good high profile recruits. This time they got their point guard back and Ashton Higgins. They got some of their bigs back. What do you anticipate when you go against a John Calipari team in this era? Well, Cal's lucky and he's chicken because he always gets all these new players and then I can't scout them because we play them in the opening game. So I got to go back to their high school film where he's going to have all kinds of film on my four guys that are back. So I'm blaming Kel for that. But, you know, Maxie, I recruited Maxie and he's a heck of a guard and and he might even be the backup point or he might be a two guard, you know, for them. And, you know, he actually has a couple guys that stayed my luck in my year I play him he's got some guys that stayed which he never has had lately so I think they're going to be really good they have talent but they have a little bit of experience back as you say the guard and a couple of those centers so hey we're going to have our hands full they're real big we're not real big but you know we've got some real experience and some guys that have been there uh, they've got a little experience but from guys that are probably better talent so that'll be interesting and last what's the best way to you've learned to manage the constant grind of that first month where you've got champions, uh, then you've got Gavit, which this year it's at Seton Hall, then you've got Maui, then you've got uh, ACC Big Ten, you've got Duke, uh, well, a little out of order maybe. Oh, no, I think that, no that is after Maui. And then, and then you've got Big Ten games. Yeah, in, in, you know, and it's only the second year that we've had them in December. So I think from, from November 5th, Till about the 6th of December, we're going to play a Big Ten game or two. I think, and you would know better than me probably, but I think Seton Hall could be as tough as any of those teams we play. They got eight other top nine back. They got the guard who's off the charts, and we're out there at their place. Um, Duke, we got them at home, but you know, last time we had them at home, they beat us by 100. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure Mike, he doesn't like losing either. We beat them in a big game, so that'll be a war. We could end up playing... We open with Virginia Tech. We could play either Georgia or Dayton. And then if we, you know, we're on the opposite bracket of Kansas. So just think if it ever goes where we play Duke or Kentucky, Duke, and Kansas in about a two-and-a-half-week period and then come back and play Seton Hall at their place. So I think I bit off more than I can chew, but I also think that for this team, complacency, fat, and sassy won't be the case. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Andy. Now joining me here on March Madness 365, Kentucky Hall of Fame head coach John Calipari. John, um, every year a new identity. What's the identity of this group? Well, my hope is that we're a really, really good defensive team. On the ball, defenders from Ashton to Tyrese to Emmanuel, really good. Wing defenders, I think, are long and active in Khalil, Keon. Johnny's got some size. And then you got some shot blockers behind in Nick and EJ, and Nate has been an unbelievable addition, like having a veteran guy. The problem is all that finishes with a tough rebound. Like, you got to go get balls. you got to play above the rim. you got to want contact. you got to create space. We do none of that right now. So all the other stuff, until they take the shot, everything is really good. 
It's are we going to be tough enough? Will we rebound enough uh, to be that kind of team? You mentioned Ashton. Uh, think about a year ago when you know he wasn't the guy to, to, to be the lead guard at the start of the year. Evolved into that position, and now he's embracing it a year later. How would you sort of judge what he's done over the course of a year? The biggest thing is, you know, when you have a guy that is a pass-first kind of point guard who really guards the ball, that can play off the ball as well as on the ball. He's really good in pick and rolls. you got a chance. And then you have two others. We could end up playing three point guards at one time, Tyrese and you play uh, Emmanuel. Now you got three point guards on the court. Late in games, I think that's maybe how we finish games off. So, you know, we'll have to see. But he is really uh, – he's grown. He's not as anxious. He's – I think, more comfortable with how we're going to play and what we're going to do. Having these returning guys, it seems like now you're in a little bit of a pattern of guys coming back uh, and having a balance. You mentioned Nick, EJ, Emmanuel, Ashton, you add Nate. Uh, What has that done in the locker room to have that kind of balance? Well, some of it is that, um, you know, they're making decisions and they need to come back. It's what they need to do, but you let them go through the process all the way till the last day. You make that choice, and if you come back, you better understand you got to work. There's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. And uh, But we've had, you know, we have four returning players, and we have a veteran in Nate to go along with four freshmen who are all pretty good. Uh, Johnny, we got to get to catch up defensively a little bit, a little bit with the toughness, but he can score the ball, can shoot it. He's he's pretty good. Dante Allen hasn't been able to be on the floor. He's probably still a month away, I would say, maybe more. But, um, yeah, we, we got a good group. It's I, I tell him, are we going to be physically tough enough? That doesn't mean push and foul. That means are you going to be alert enough to play before your man catches the ball? Before it hits the rim, you're engaged. Before you catch the ball on offense, you're seeing what's there. So it doesn't become mush mush mouth. Um, It's all things we're working on to create different habits, new habits for the kids. A year ago, Champions Classic didn't go your way in that opener against Duke. How much did you learn from that night for the rest of that season? That's an interesting way of putting it. You got beat by 100. I was trying to be kind. And it didn't go your way. Well, I would say to everybody that watched us get absolutely smoked, and they backed up or it would have been 100, at the end of the year I felt we were going to win a national title. And if we lose a game to a team that we had beaten by 30 two weeks earlier, lose to them in overtime. If we win that game, I believe we win the national championship. And we go from that to where we were, that's the progress you want to see. Right now, they're asking me about our first game. We play um, Michigan State, number one team in the country. I can't worry about them. I got to worry about our kids developing habits, understanding how they're going to have to play to win in March. And we cannot skip steps. Right now, as we speak, no out-of-bounds plays, no side, no baseline, no press attack, no zone offense, nothing. We don't have it in. So now you're saying, well, how would you play a game? We're not to the point where we could play a game. And when we get to Michigan State, if we don't have enough in to win, we don't have enough in to win. This is about the long haul here. And uh, last year kind of shows that hopefully, you know, we don't want to get smoked by 
72 again, but, you know, hopefully whatever happens in the first game, good or bad, like we've had games where we smoked Kansas in that game by 100. I mean, uh, we had Michigan State by 20-some. We had Duke by 20. So there's been games where that's happened, but it's no indication of where your team is going. If you had to do a plank with your wife, Ellen, who wins and how many minutes could you could you match her? I asked her. She said, "I, you know, two minutes and she had some time left. She said, I said, well, I'd easily go three minutes. She laughed. Said, yeah, right. I said, listen, if you said three, I'm going four. Just no. Thanks, John. Thanks. And coming up next here on March Madness 365, Mike Krzyzewski and Bill Self, Duke head coach, Kansas head coach, the Hall of Famers. They'll join me here on March Madness 365. All right, it's time for our Cats Ranks segment here on March Madness 365. And for our opening week podcast, we're going to break down my All-Americans. We're going to start with the second team going to the first team. Start at number 10. This is on the second team of our All-Americans. Trey Jones, a sophomore guard from Duke. He enters the season as one of the best, if not the best, on-ball defender. He's got a chance to be a first-team All-American, chance to be ACC Player of the Year, although he's going to have some company here shortly. Uh, but Trey Jones comes in at number 10, the sophomore from Duke. At number 9, Cole Anthony, the freshman from North Carolina. He could end up being National Freshman of the Year. He could be ACC Player of the Year. He's going to be a Mr. Everything for North Carolina. At number 8, Jordan Wara, senior forward from Louisville. So, 10-9, you had two point guards. Eight, a wing. All three ACC players, all three with a chance to be ACC Player of the Year. Jordan Wara came back to lead the Cardinals to a potential Final Four. He will be a double-digit scoring machine for the Cardinals. At number seven, Lamar Stevens, the senior forward from Penn State. I think he's going to average a double-double. He's going to lead the Nittany Lions, I firmly believe this, to the NCAA tournament. He's going to get Pat Chambers in the NCAA tournament with Penn State. He checks in at number seven. At number six, this was a tough call for me between five and six, first team, second team. Yudoka Azubuke, senior center from Kansas. Now, Yudoka has had a lot of injuries. Wrist injury kept him out almost the entire season last season. We saw him at the beginning of the season, then he was hurt. I just want to wait and see him come back, dominate the way he did last season, and then he may be a first-team All-American. But right now, he's at the top of the second team at number six. So who do I have at number five in our first team? James Wiseman, freshman center from Memphis. Okay. Wiseman comes in as an athletic freak. Big man who can do a little bit of everything. Rim protector, finish. Could be the number one draft pick. So he's either going to be a dominant first-team All-American or right at the top of second team. Right now, he checks in at number five for me, in large part just because of lack of experience. At number four, Kerry Blackshear Jr., a senior from Florida, transferred from Virginia Tech, led the Hokies to the Sweet 16, almost knocked off Duke. He's the missing piece for the Gators. I think he's the reason that Florida will get over the hump and get to the Final Four. So he checks in at number four. At number three, Marcus Howard, senior Marquette. Howard will be doing even more for Marquette this season without the Hauser brothers. He can go for 40, 50. He's done it. He's going to have a sensational senior season. 
But will he win Big East Player of the Year? And the reason he may not is because the player is at number two. Miles Powell, senior guard, Seton Hall. Powell, preseason Big East Player of the Year, he's got a chance to lead Seton Hall to their first Final Four since 1989 when they lost in the championship game to Michigan. So Powell Howard, right there, challenging for Big East Player of the Year, first-team All-American. And at number one, Cassius Winston, the senior guard from Michigan State. Didn't win our popularity poll because he went against a Kentucky player, Big Blue Nation, but still, Michigan State fans came out in droves, great showing, and it's deserving. Winston, preseason Big Ten Player of the Year, preseason National Player of the Year. Winston checks in at number one, first-team All-American. But think about this. I've got four seniors on that first team in that first four. Really could have been an all-senior first team if I'd put Yudoka in, in place of Wiseman. Decided against it. By the end of the season, it could happen. Lamar Stevens could be up there. Jordan War could be up there. There's a good chance that five seniors, or at least four, will be on that first team, All-American, whether it's AP, us, anyone else. You don't always see that. It's rare, but it's great for college basketball. And that is your top 10 here in the first week of the college basketball season. And now joining me here in March Madness 365, the Hall of Famer, Duke head coach Mike Krzyzewski. And, and coach, uh, you've had so many different teams where you've had a host of freshmen not always having a holdover like Trey Jones. What has that meant so far early in the season to have someone like that? No, it's been so valuable, especially for this freshman class. Uh, we're a little bit younger, although they're talented and they need a leader on the court. And along with that, our two seniors, Javon Delorier and Jack White, along with Trey, they provide upper class leadership that a number of our teams lately have not had. Don't want to compare teams, and you never want to do that. But what is it about this freshman class that you think where at each position they can have an impact? Well, I think they can improve a lot. They're not close to being a finished product, and they want to improve. And not only that, but the guys around them want that. So we're a deeper team, and there's not the separation from starting five to the next five that we've normally had. And uh, I think overall that's good for this group. Last year's group had, obviously, headline guys in terms of Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett. This freshman class, do you sense that – there won't be one guy that gets sort of all the attention that that might you know not that you didn't you had great chemistry last right. year but uh, that that might be more the identity of this group that there it's going to be different night different guy. Yeah, I hope we have some consistency. In fact, a lot of consistency of how well we play. But I, I do think you're going to see this, uh, many guys become the so-called star or the best player that night, and not necessarily the best player every night, but still a good player. And uh, I think the environment that we have where guys feel like they can do that, there's it's a jealous free zone kind of. And the fact that they're still improving will make that happen. And uh, I just hope uh, I hope we stay injury free because these kids need need to develop individually and collectively together. A year ago at the Champions Classic to tip off the season, that was sort of obviously the announcement of Zion and, and the rest of your crew and a great win over Kentucky. Uh, what has that event tipping off the season this year? It's going to be against Kansas. What has that meant for you and really for the sport? Well, I think it's been one of the great events. So great that now that we start the season with it. 
you know, it's the first day and you have four storied programs in uh, Kansas, Kentucky, Michigan State and Duke on the court in a huge venue. You know, what a way to start out off the season. And it's an honor for us to be a part of it. Uh, and, you know, no one we, we kind of all beat up on one another. It just depends on the year. But uh, I think we all all four teams come out of it better and uh and more real realistic about who they're going to be what did it do for your group last year with that kind of win over kentucky well it gave us a lot of confidence and then i thought if we had stayed injury free you know like zion's injury late in the season for three and a half weeks hurt us but it gave us a lot of confidence because you know kentucky they didn't have a good game but they are really good and then john used that game well in the development of his team and didn't let it define his season, but learned from it, and then they became one of the best teams. And in this matchup, I mean, Kansas will clearly be a little bit more veteran to start. Right. I know you got ways away, but early thoughts on a matchup like that to tip off the season? Well, you know, it's a heck of a matchup for us because they'll have one of the best big guys in the country, you know, Sabuki's, uh, and they they're old and uh and well coached obviously so uh we're young inside and how we how we rebound and how we defend the post will be tested uh, a lot you know right right out right out of the shoot and lastly coach overall do you get the sense that the season is pretty wide open i mean a year ago you guys obviously in Kentucky were looked at as some of the favorites, but and then you know we didn't know as Virginia would obviously come on the way they did. But do you get the sense that this year is pretty wide open? Yeah, I think, and, and especially in our conference in the ACC, uh, we lost a lot of veteran players, and so there's a newness there. And I think countrywide, there are a lot of good teams that you know the veteran teams will get more of the pub early. And they deserve it. But uh, it's going to be a great, great year. And I, I look at it, first of all, a great year in our own conference because we, we have a new network. We have uh, 20 games. And uh, <laughs> it's, it, it, that's a lot. And I, I think it'll prep us well for the teams that are going to the NCAA tournament. Thanks, Coach. All right. Thank you. And now joining me here in March Madness 365, Kansas Hall of Fame head coach Bill Self. And uh, Bill, Champions Classic, you open with Duke. This event has been a tremendous tip-off to the season. A year ago, it's where we got to know Zion Williams and R.J. Barrett as Duke beat Kentucky. Uh, what is it, first off, about this event that has really helped the college basketball calendar? Well, we, we had three other teams play last year, too. You just talked about one. But but I, I, I do think it's, a, it's an unbelievable way to tip off the season. I think moving it to the Tuesday in which it is on is falling on Veterans Day or whatever, right around that. I think it does give a college basketball window that doesn't exist on the weekend with obviously with college football and NFL football. So I think it's a fabulous event. I think this is our ninth year. We've experienced moderate success. I think we're four and four in it, uh, but that's not what this is about. And the winner of the games on, on this particular night will not determine who goes to the final four, or has a chance to play for it all, but it will give you an indication on where you are right now. But it's so early in the season that a November game could actually impact a March game. I don't know that that's, that's the case, but certainly a resume builder. But it's it's blue bloods, it's energy, it's, it's uh, unbelievable fan bases. It's 
uh, celebrities at games. It, it has about the, whatever the best the college basketball can offer during the regular season. They'll have it all there that night. At Madison Square Garden, top four teams. And your matchup with Duke, uh, great guard matchup, whether or not they're going head-to-head, but you got Dotson and Trey Jones. They've got a great recruiting class. You've got bigs that mm-hmm. haven't played together right. in uh, two seasons. Uh, how is that working out? in practice right now with Yudoka Azubuke and Sylvie D'Souza? I think offensively it's working fine. Defensively it's a problem because, you know, you look at a team like Duke that historically plays four guys that can really shoot it uh, around a big. And, and then, well, if that's the case, now one of our bigs has to guard one of those perimeter players and so that's something that we're not very good at yet we've got a lot of work to do to get good defensively being able to do that but but it it should be fun and and uh i love games like this and and you know it's not a win at all cost game by any stretch although i think some fans uh do put more emphasis on it than what they probably should but it it's it's as as good as it gets and the 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 light can't shine any brighter than it will in madison square garden that night you've had a done a great job obviously of having these guards come through that maybe weren't as highly touted from Graham to Mason Collins uh, and then they end up being a, like a player of the year in the league or a national player of the year where, where does Dotson fit into that well he was actually recruited pretty high you know Devon was a McDonald's guy so so we had to beat some really good f- uh, folks to get him I think Devon is further along as a sophomore than what Devonte and Frank were but those guys they, they took off they, I mean, they took off beginning uh, their sophomore year, and and I'm hoping the same for Devon. But but he has a chance to be a special guy. He's he's got some things you can't coach, and and primarily speed. And he's got he's got some competitiveness to him that that uh, is really really positive. Uh, he's still learning how to play and, and learning how to make teams better. But but uh, you know, speed makes up for a lot of ills. So picked up some newcomers, Jalen Wilson, who's going to go to Michigan from Texas. Now as a freshman for you guys, Isaiah Moss, shooter from Iowa. What have you seen from some of the newcomers where you think they'll, they'll impact the squad? Tristan Inaruna is also a newcomer that we got late. And and uh, uh, I think they're all going to contribute. They'll all be part of our rotation. I don't know if we're going to play 9, 10 or whatever. But I do think that, that all those guys we got late will have a chance to impact it. But Isaiah Moss is a guy that he's shown at the collegiate level. He can really shoot the basketball. And that's something in order for our bigs to be really good, we got to be able to stretch it and he gives us a great opportunity to do that. So you guys are top two team to start the season to win the national championship, which is a marathon from now. What has to go right for Kansas? We got we got to stay healthy, A, because we don't have a lot of depth, especially in the backcourt, and B, we got to shoot the ball. I mean, I, I still think even with the line being moved back, you don't have to be a 38 or 40% through three-point shooting team, but you need to still be above that 33 mark or, or whatnot. And if we, if we can consistently stretch it, I think we're big enough we can rebound it. You know, so get a golf a good shot. You know, you you know if you can go get it after you miss it, then, you know, that's still okay too. So so we got, we, we, we've got to be able to just make a, a decent percentage. And if we're able to do that, I think we could be pretty tough out. Thanks, Bill. All right. And coming up next here on March Madness 365, my conversation with Chad Acock from Turner Sports. Chad's going to Pepper some games at me. This is going to be a regular segment, little prediction segment, as we get ready for the first week of the regular season of college basketball. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Chad Acock from Turner Sports, our weekly segment. And in the month of October, we did a, a breakdown of the power conferences, where I thought some of these teams would be for the NCAA tournament, who was on the bubble, and who was out of the mix. Well, we're done with the preview part of our podcasting here in the preseason. Now it's on to the actual games, Chad. 
because this week we've got basketball. We've got, uh, you know, on Tuesday night, Champions Classic, top four teams in the country in the AP poll and the Power 36 meeting at Madison Square Garden. And there are plenty of great games throughout the course of this first week of the season. And on two, excuse me, on Wednesday night, the ACC gets going. Uh, obviously, this was part of them trying to unveil the ACC network to start with a conference game. And so pretty much every team, if I'm not mistaken, except for Duke, will open its season with an ACC team, with an ACC game. So a lot to digest here. I know you're going to fire back at me some predictions. We're going to do this on a weekly basis. Uh, and uh, as we go further into the season, of course, we'll take some questions from uh, the users out there on social media. But for this edition, the first week of the college basketball season, Chad, what do you have for me? Yeah, let's go ahead and get it started with our opening night matchups. We've, we've kind of broken it down uh, 10 different ways, hearing from each coach. So, Andy, just give me your predictions. Opening matchup of Champions Classic, number three, Kansas, number four, Duke. Who you got? So, this is a tough one because uh, Kansas comes in with loads of experience, much more than Duke especially up front. But we haven't seen Yudoka Azubuke and Sylvia D'Souza play together in two years, two seasons. But they're healthy, they're eligible, and I think that's the difference. You know, guard play, you know, Trey Jones will certainly handle himself against Devin Dotson. That could go either way, that matchup. The depth on the perimeter is probably a little better at Kansas, although, once again, it's not players that have played at Kansas as much because they've got transfers, newcomers. But I just think the difference will be inside. I'm going to bank on Yudoka having a great game, and I'm going to go with Kansas over Duke at Madison Square Garden. All right, Duke is 5-3 and three in the Champions Classic, but they're 0-2 against Kansas, so we'll see if that trend continues. Uh, 9-30 matchup. Number one, Michigan State. Number two, Kentucky. Who you got in that one, Andy? Well, I'm going to go with Michigan State, uh, but once again, I think this is going to be a great matchup, especially at the point. Cassius Winston, preseason player of the year, against Ashton Hagens, uh, the inside of Nick Richards, E.J. Montgomery. Uh, those guys certainly can handle Xavier Tillman, probably have a little bit more length and athleticism over Michigan State. The difference could be, you know, how does Tyrese Maxey, Cleo Whitney handle the experience, uh, and I can say that now, of an Aaron Henry uh, on the wing? Uh, does Xavier Tillman, who's going to be more inside, but, you know, he can play a little bit, facing the basket as well. Um, you know, they're not going to have Joshua Langford, but they didn't have him toward the end of the last season when they got to the end, to the Final Four anyway. I think Michigan State, in a very close game, I think much closer than maybe people would project, but I think it's going to be a very kind of close game, late possession kind of game. Michigan State prevails and retains the number one ranking going into the second week of the season. Yeah, I agree with that pick. I do think it'll be a lot closer than Kentucky's uh, last year when they uh, yes. when they got smoked by Duke. So we'll hope for a closer matchup this year. The other sneaky matchup that not a lot of people are talking about on Tuesday night, Andy, is we got a matchup in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Number 20, St. Mary's versus your alma mater, Wisconsin. Non-biased. Tell me your pick in that one. So actually... This is one of those ones where I'm going to say, I wouldn't say I want St. Mary's to win, but if St. Mary's is going to live up to the expectations that not just I have, but a lot of people have for the Gales, this is the kind of game they have to win because they're just not going to have as many non-conference and really conference opportunities over the course of the season. Wisconsin's going to have plenty. In fact, you know, we'll probably talk about this two weeks after, you know, Wisconsin will have a chance to play Auburn in Brooklyn in the Legends Classic if they meet 
on that Tuesday night. So they're going to have multiple opportunities. They've got Marquette. They've got a lot of good games coming up. I think for St. Mary's, the experience, they've got pretty much everyone back from last season's team that won the WCC tournament. Jordan Ford is one of the best point guards in the country, and I think he'd be a starter in Wisconsin. Uh, I mean, he'd be an all-Big Ten-type point guard. Now, the issue for St. Mary's will be if Wisconsin defends well, you know, can St. Mary's deal with the scoring lulls that may come when you go against a Wisconsin defense? But I just think at this juncture, opening night, neutral court, I like the Gales to prevail uh, once again, I think it'll be a very close game, probably a low-scoring game, you know, like probably like a 60-55 type game. But I think St. Mary's wins and gets them going on their season and will probably put them in the top 20 after a win like that. Hmm. Picking against your Badgers, Andy. All right. Well, moving along to Wednesday night. Do you night, like that pick? I like I like the pick. I do think we'll see a different kind of brand of basketball with with, with Wisconsin that no Ethan had, no Kula Iverson. I would agree. I'd pick St. Mary's too, but that, the backcourt backcourt of Demetric Trice and Brad Davison, they're going to have to try to slow down Jordan Ford collectively. And I think Brad Davison could be a tough matchup for him. Just it was funny. Like last year on social, we did all kinds of compilate compilations, right? Brad Davison had a charge compilation last November, and that's probably the only guy in the country that gets a charge compilation. So we'll see what kind of effort he can uh, he can provide for Wisconsin this year. But no, I, I agree with the pick. Uh, Wednesday though, Notre Dame. UNC, Cole Anthony's debut. Who do you like in that one? So I've been high on Notre Dame. I think they're going to go from the bottom of the ACC to the NCAA tournament. I just don't like this as their opener. Uh, I think with the Tar Heels in Chapel Hill, Cole Anthony's going to have that place rocking. Rex Fluger won't be 100% coming off that ACL injury from last year. He's going to be a major factor for them as the season progresses, but they're not 100% yet. Uh, And while John Mooney, I think, will be a tough matchup for North Carolina, I just think the speed of the Tar Heels early in the season will be tough for Notre Dame to handle. I like the Tar Heels at home. Yeah, that seems like an obvious pick. I do think this game could be a little bit tighter just because of the experience Notre Dame brings and what all UNC has to replace. If they, if, you know, if this game was in January, February, you know, at UNC, I'd, I think it'd be an absolute just blowout. You know, with UNC getting their their freshmen ready to go. But yeah, I, I think UNC wins a tight one there. Uh, moving along, Andy, Virginia opens its season at Syracuse. Is, is that a tough matchup for the defending champs? What do you got? Yeah, it is. And I'm going to be there at the Carrier Dome. You know, Virginia is going to be a team that's going to, going to get better and better as the season progresses. If you're going to beat them, you want to beat them early. And that's what Syracuse is going to need to do. I think this is a great opportunity for the Orange and Jim Beheim, who told me at ACC Media Day, were much better than projected. This is the kind of game that I think they can win at home. Uh, I think the zone... Could be a problem for Virginia because Virginia's problem this season will be perimeter shooting. That's the big unknown. Losing Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy, that's a massive blow to their three-point shooting. Uh, We just don't know if they're going to be able to make perimeter shots. And while that's not the only way to beat Syracuse's zone, you know, obviously Mamadi Diakite is going to have to penetrate that zone. Kihei Clark can get in there. And they can work that middle, and they're going to have to do that. I think Virginia is going to make it tough for Syracuse to score. They've had good success against Syracuse. But I like the orange in this game at home, especially because it's the first game of the season for both teams. Uh, I, I just like the experience of Syracuse going against a Virginia team, as I said, will be much better later in the season than they will be on night one. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you there, Andy. I, I totally agree. This, the defense could cause problems for Virginia, but Virginia's defense could cause problems for Syracuse, too, who also lost a lot. Uh, Virginia was number five in terms of like Ken Palm's uh, defensive efficiency. Uh, on top of that, they were, I think, dead last out of 353 teams in terms of like adjusted pace. So I think the, the first team that breaks 50 might win this game. Um, but I think Virginia will find a way to pull that out. Which, by the way, if that happens, Chad, uh, that's a monster you know, chip that they're going to have throughout the course of the season. If they get a road win at Syracuse, that'll be on that shelf. And you only, you know, only, you know, you've got nine more ACC games. They're playing 20 this season. And if you've already got one of your 10 road games done, uh, that's huge. And if you get it at one of the harder places to win on the road in the ACC, you know, more kudos to Virginia. They're going to be definitely a top three type team in the ACC if they pull that off right off the bat. Yeah, it's a boost in the standings and also just a confidence boost after losing those three guys if they pull that W out. Uh, we don't have much Thursday, but Friday we've got three kind of non-conference matchups uh, that'll, bo- that'll all be at neutral sites. And just give me some quick hitters. Who you got in these games? Number 24, Auburn versus Davidson in the Veterans Classic uh, in Annapolis, Maryland. Who you got? So I'm going to go with Davidson. Um, Auburn is going to be bigger, although Bruce Pearl says not slower, but they're not going to shoot as well because they lost all their three-point threats. Uh, and I think Davidson's a trio in the backcourt of Kellen Grady, John Axel Goodmanson, and Luke Frampton is going to be too tough for Auburn. I like the Wildcats, more experienced team heading into this matchup. Yeah, Auburn's going to have to learn how to play without Harper, Brown, and Jumo Kiki. So we'll see what, that, see what happens there. Another one. Uh, Anchorage, Alaska, Armed Forces Classic. Number 16, Baylor versus Washington. Who do you like? So I'm going to go with the Bears. I think Baylor uh, could be, you know, like sort of the way Kansas State was last year. People weren't talking about them as much, and they ended up getting a share of the Big 12 with Texas Tech. You know, it could be Baylor, not Texas Tech, that ends up getting a share with Kansas of the Big 12 regular season title this year. Uh, No Mario Kegler, but they're going to be fine. They're going to move on from that. Jared Butler, Tristan Clark, they've got the horses to go against Washington's own Washington. Another team, really young, really talented, will be better later in the season. I like Baylor up in Anchorage. I like that pick. Here's one for you, Andy. A Pac-12 matchup that does not count as a conference game. It's the Pac-12 China game. Arizona State and Colorado. What do you think about that one? So, yeah, a really unique situation here. You know, this has been a project of the Pac-12 to, to penetrate the Chinese market. They've had a game there for the last few seasons. Uh, look, I, I think this is, first of all, this will be a great conference game once we get into conference play. But I like Colorado. And it's kind of a game where if you're Colorado, you got to win this game and get people to recognize that you are a legit Pac-12 title contender. Uh, McKinley Wright, the fourth against Remy Martin is going to be, you know, whether or not they're matched up against each other. It's two really good players. But Colorado's got more experience, and Colorado should win this game, whether it's in China, Boulder. Uh, they should get it, and I like Colorado. I agree. They've got everybody back. be a huge statement win for Colorado to open the season. All right, Andy, I'm gonna give, give me a couple weekend games. We've got Saturday, Iowa State at Oregon State. What do you like? First of all, sneaky good game here. Really good game. Iowa State, another team that's going to be better as the season goes along. Tyrese Halliburton, potential Big 12 Player of the Year candidate. But I like Oregon State here. This is the kind of game that Oregon State has to win if they're going to be taken seriously. I know it's day one or whatever, week one of the season. But if you're Oregon State and you had Iowa State coming into your place, you got to win that game. And I think Trace Tinkle is going to have an outstanding game, tremendous season, Pac-12 Player of the Year candidate. I like Oregon State. Totally agree. 
that big three of Trey Stinko, Kyler Kelly, and Ethan Thompson, I think they get it done at home. Sunday, Florida State at Florida. Florida State, they've beaten Florida five straight times, including last year to open the season, a 21-point win. Can the Gators get revenge? What do you think? Yes. Uh, the Gators are the more experienced team. Tremendous newcomer in Scotty Lewis. And, of course, Kerry Blackshear Jr. could be a first-team All-American. Andrew Nemhard. Florida State, once again, I know I'm sounding repetitive here, but another team that's going to be much better later. Leonard Hamilton always has his teams improve. Uh, Florida's just got too much experience. By the way, we're going to talk about the Gators throughout the course of the month of November, December, because you're going to keep hitting me. they got so many good games early in the season. I like Florida in this one. They're a top five, top ten type team. I think they'll eventually be in the top five. I like the Gators for this one. Yeah, I think they'll break that streak uh, against Florida State. Well, Andy, that's all I've got for you this week. We're going to kind of revisit these picks, see how you do, and then we'll keep moving along every week as the season continues. All right, great, Chad, and continue to challenge me. Uh, As I said at the beginning of this segment, we're going to have picks, and we're going to have some uh, user questions uh, throughout the course of the season. We'll probably start that up uh, next week or the week after. So uh, we'll see how I do on these picks. Thanks, Chad. You got it. And coming up next on March Madness 365, my conversation with Dan Gavitt, the executive vice president of the NCAA, in charge of men's and women's basketball. Dan's going to get you ready for the season. What to look for. Coming up next. Dan, let's first deal with your role at the NCAA. How has that evolved? Well, Andy, great to be with you at the start of the season. I'm very excited, as you are. started at the NCAA about seven years ago as the vice president of men's basketball championships. And the role has evolved over time to now include oversight of women's basketball, as you mentioned, as well. But most importantly, from the men's game perspective, working with the oversight committee, with the rules committee, competition committee, kind of all things related to men's basketball from a legislative standpoint, regular seasons, as well as uh, officiating and playing rules, kind of trying to centralize uh, management and oversight of all things Division I men's basketball. And this idea of this Champions Classic, you know, this start date, this is something that I know, you know, has basically occurred a couple years ago, and it was something that was desperately needed. And now what we're seeing around it, uh, you know, I love. I just absolutely love. And I want to just get your take on this as well, where, and I know this is in large part because of the ACC network and the 20-game schedule, but the ACC is going to have 14 of their 15 teams start off with an ACC game, the one that's not obviously is Duke, but they're in the Champions Classic. So every one of the ACC schools is going to start the season with a big-time game. Uh, we've seen, obviously, with the Big Ten over the last couple of years, maybe not in November, but they're certainly playing earlier conference games in December, which gives another pop sort of once the championship football games are over. Uh, what have you seen in terms of the way the season is tipping off or has tipped off and the way other leagues are starting to get the message that, hey, let's, let's start with a little bit of a pop uh, around the country? I think people around the game have been concerned for a long time that the season didn't start with the kind of fanfare and excitement and attention that it deserves. For a long time, as you know, before last year, we were starting the season on a Friday. And while there were a lot of good events and games on Friday, then because of the time of year we're in, we would go dark and really have no attention on college basketball for the two days that followed on Saturday and Sunday as college football and the NFL took you know, center stage. So we, we moved the start of the season, as you noted, to Tuesday. This is the second year of that. Uh, we were fortunate that ESPN uh, made a move right away to move Champions Classic to the opening night. So you've got four incredible programs that tip off the season right away and with a lot of excitement and attention. But now we've also 
provide this opportunity for, for any in college basketball conferences and, and event operators to move events to Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday and have this incredible run-up for the start of the season. ACC taking advantage of that this year, and I suspect that others will in, in subsequent years as well. And that's our hope is that you have really great games and great events on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, leading into what is inevitably a, a, you know, a college football and NFL weekend. We think it's worked out a whole lot uh, better than even we imagined and, um, and brings a lot of attention, as it should, to the start of college basketball. Yeah, this week, you know, and uh, uh, you know, we talked about this on the podcast before you came on. I mean, we've got the sort of hidden gem game. I, I mean, I think it's great sleeper game. St. Mary's taking on Wisconsin and South Dakota to tip off the season. Later in the week, you've got Baylor taking on Washington in the Armed Forces Classic up in Anchorage. I mean, that's two top 30-type games. On the weekend, we got Florida State, Florida, which is a traditional rival. Uh, they've tried to play that game around the football game, not always every year, but that's obviously a good, you know, state rivalry, which is, tends to have some national re- repercussions. So it feels like schools are getting the message. And I, I just want to take this a step further, Dan, uh, in terms of scheduling for the most part. And St. Mary's is a great example where they are, you know, over the last couple of years, Randy Bennett finally sort of came out of his shell and is challenging his team on neutrals or even going on the road. How much have you seen these schools listen to that in the non-conference, even in a power league and not just strictly relying on their in-conference to get that resume up? Well, as you know, the basketball committee puts a lot of emphasis on strength of schedule and, you know, games played in the first two quadrants. And um, there's great opportunity with the earlier start date, working with network partners and conferences to create, you know, incredible interconference matchups this early in the season. And every single game in the season matters from tomorrow night, Tuesday, November 5th, through the last game of conference tournaments. And, and the committee values each game played and doesn't put particular weight on games played later in the season, just as much weight put on games played early in the season. So if this is the opportunity to play those games, schools, conferences, networks are recognizing it's a great time to have these incredible games. And along with that, Andy, comes this is a benefit that probably few people know about when we moved the start of the season from friday to tuesday it started meant that the season started three days earlier but now that also comes with mandatory three-day holiday break for student athletes so for three days at the school's discretion they have to take three consecutive days off around the holidays to give players a chance to go home and spend the holidays with their family which is a great benefit i think so we talk about the uh the net or, you know, the resume, if you will. This is the second year that the net is one of the tools or the organizational tool for power rankings, for lack of a better term, but also to organize the way those team sheets are are constructed. No change to the net this season. What's the read from the committee on how it worked in year one and, and the anticipation of how it will work in year two? I think the community is very pleased with how the net performed the very first year. As you know, it replaced the RPI. It's both a results-oriented and a predictive analytic, much more contemporary, much more uh, sophisticated than the RPI. It performed, we thought, very well. But the committee thought that even though they, they looked at some things and analyzed it very carefully over the course of the summer, that one season is still not a huge sample size. and They want to be able to see the net perform for a second year before considering any significant tweaks to the, to the net. Technology. Uh, it's constantly changing, and, and this is one thing I want to get in real quickly here on the rules. But before I get to the shot clock reset, which probably couldn't have happened five, ten years ago in terms of 
just your basic uh, scoreboard and being able to handle sort of a quick reset like that. What's happening on the horizon in terms of technology with live stats and shot tracker that could be available on the bench? Well, I think one of the things we're trying to get done over the last several years around the game is to, is, is to make the game contemporary, modern, relevant. And, and to, you know, as the game evolves uh, on a global scale, how do we keep college basketball on the cutting edge of that? This rule cycle, which is a two years rule cycle, we're going to put a lot of emphasis and priority on technology for use on the bench in game for coaching and teaching purposes. Right now, that's not even permitted. But as we know, you know, we can use uh, iPads and, and other devices to teach the game at a very young age and, and then all through the player's experience. So we're going to experiment this year with live stats, uh, with technology like Shot Tracker, where uh, coaches can have live statistics and analytics available on the bench to be able to coach and teach players during the game for their benefit. And ultimately, it will also enhance the experience for fans in the arena as well as watching on TV, the broadcast. All right. So, Dan, uh, before I let you go, let's run down the four sort of key rule th- um, points of emph- emphasis or even changes that are going to affect this season. I spoke with J.D. Collins, uh, who uh, is the coordinator of officials for the NCAA and NCAA tournament. Uh, we sort of basically came up with four that we think are the most important. Uh, so let's start with the three-point line. It's longer. It's going from 20 feet, 9 inches to 22 feet, 1 inch, and 3 quarters. Uh, what kind of effect do you think that will have on the game this season? I think it will be a real benefit over the long term. I think we'll see a little adjustment, of course, this year as, as players shoot a foot and a half deeper than they're used to. But one of the things we saw in experimenting in the NIT for two years is that it opened up the court. It actually provided for more driving opportunities and even some better post-up opportunities as defenses had to extend further out to, to guard a deeper three-point line. And the, the difference in the number of three-pointers taken and the number of three-pointers made was very marginal. Players, I think, can make those shots, and it will just open up the court a little bit more. So I think it will only enhance the game to go to the FIBA distance. Yeah, and officials are going to have to watch that corner. Uh, in the NIT, J.D. Collins was saying there were seven times where a player stepped out of bounds because it's tighter in that corner because it sort of goes more flat and straight, I should say. Uh, so that'll be something to watch. The other thing that'll be interesting is the multiple lines. The women kept their line the same. You also are in charge of the women's tournament. Um, obviously, the tournaments are not at the same sites once we get into March. But uh, what are the chances that that could be a little bit of an issue just for people to get used to multiple lines on these courts where the men and women share? I think it's not the first time. I think it'll take a little adjustment you know, for fans in particular. I think... I think it's more of an adjustment and, and challenge for women's players, frankly, than it is for men's because, you know, I think players naturally uh, gravitate to the deeper line, right? And that's the men's line now. So um, I, I don't think it's going to be an issue for the men. It could be an issue for, for women's players who, you know, will maybe take deeper shots than they need to given the women's line is still where the men's line was last year. But they're going to experiment with that and look at it over time and see if that, that is a, a move would benefit the women's game, too, to go to the FIBA distance. All right, so the second item is the shot clock. I mentioned this, and what's going to happen is there's two buttons. The shot clock operator is going to have one to reset to 30, and then the second button uh, is to reset the shot clock to 20 seconds when there's an offensive rebound, and the offensive player obviously retains possession. Uh, The tough thing, as J.D. was telling me, will be, you know, how you manage if it's a bang-bang, you know, Offensive player gets it, then defensive player, then offensive player. You know, are you is the is the shot clock operator holding the thirty 
until there's a full possession by the offensive side to then switch to the 20 reset. And these are things, the little kinks and tweaks that could be ironed out. But what was the thinking in, in resetting at 20 seconds when you're in the offensive side of the court? I think it goes along with this theme we've been working on for the last several years of trying to increase the pace and flow of the game, add more possessions to the game, um, better balance offense with defense. Um, and I think it, it has that opportunity to do so. You don't need the full 10 seconds, to, you know, which you use to get the ball across, across the midcourt line, obviously when there's an offensive rebound in the front court. So it could add another possession or two to the game and keep the flow and the pace of the game at the level we want it, which is the way, way players want to play the game in a way is much more contemporary, I think. Yeah, Dan, that's exactly what J.D. said. I mean, you, you don't need those 10 seconds. You're already you're already on the other side of the court. So there's a good chance that also, also could help speed up things. All right, flopping. Um, this will be very interesting how this is officiated here. Uh, and the main thing is they want to get rid of flopping. Uh, so they want to make sure that players are not uh, on both sides, offensively and defensively. Um, you know, if you are a three-point shooter and there isn't contact, they don't want you flopping after the shot is taken, falling back on a block charge. If you are uh, driving against a player who's holding his position and you flail your head back, uh, they don't want the offensive player to, you know, get a flopping call on that way. And they also, on the flip side, they don't want this player to be flying back as if, you know, he was shot out of a cannon uh, and get called for that kind of flop. So, uh, you know, they're going to really be watching, uh, you know, to make sure that this does not occur and there will be warnings. The other interesting thing that JD told me was the warning for delay of game, this, the flop will be included with other warnings that you can get for delay of game and so technically, if you got a warning for, let's say, you know, you kick the ball out of bounds or whatever, uh, that would be warning one. And then if there's a flop, then it becomes a technical because that's your second warning. So people may think that they're getting a technical for a flop and not remember there might have been another bench warning earlier in the game. So that'll be something interesting to watch as well. What are your thoughts? I do think we're going to see some significant adjustment in November and December. I think we'll see a lot of these calls as players and coaches adjust. As you know, teaching in these areas changes. Uh, the rules committee and competition committee was very clear. They want this out of the game. It's you know, it's deceptive. It's a form of cheating in some way, and it's been taken out of, of other levels of the game. And the committees feel like it needs to come out of the college game too. And so, like the elbow rule of a, you know a couple of years ago, and um, and the cylinder rule, I do think we'll see a bunch of calls in November and December um, that will you know cause some anxiety among players and coaches and, and fans. I think the result will be that players will adjust and the game will be better for it. And the last thing, Dan, the flagrant foul. The officials are now having more latitude with language and descriptors to differentiate between a flagrant one, which gets you two shots in the ball, and a flagrant two, which gets you two shots in the ball and a player being ejected. The real definition here, or the the uh, division that was sort of put in here was for flagrant two now it's the additions of brutal, harsh, clear, cruel, dangerous, or punishing. Those are the sort of the key words, whether it's verbal, physical, that officials are going to be using to differentiate between a flagrant one and two. What was happening behind the scenes to try to draw that distinction? I think it just goes to teaching, you know, coaches being able to teach their players and understanding what, you know, what is and what isn't a flagrant foul, as well as for fans understanding 
why a call was made one, two in flagrant category. It helps to clarify some of that, and it provides a better opportunity for teaching. And, and I think because of that, coaches will adjust, players will adjust, and um, we'll, we'll probably see a little cleaner game because of it. That's the hope, I think. Well, Dan, I appreciate it. I know we're going to see some great games, not just a cleaner game. Over the course of this week, we'll be at the Champions Classic Tuesday night at Madison Square Garden. And then both of us will be at Virginia Syracuse for that ACC opener between those two schools, defending champs uh, in action up at the Carrier Dome. It's going to be a great week, great season. Uh, Dan, I appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate you and how you cover the game. It's the best, and it's going to be an awesome season. Enjoy it. Thanks. Thanks, Dan. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. We'll be back next week with real games to talk about. Uh, We've had a great time previewing the season over the last two months. The season begins. You can, of course, follow March Madness on all our social media platforms at NCAA.com, Twitter, Facebook, and we're going to have tons of content throughout the course of the first week of the season. We'll be back next week. More guests, more analysis on college basketball. Thanks for listening.